Hello, and welcome to Based on a True Story. This week, where we'll look at how movies depicted historical events that happened between January 9th and January 15th. We start on January 10th, 49 BCE, Italy. Sun streams through the trees, casting rays of light on the lush green grass below. The sounds of rushing water can be heard. A lone man can be seen wearing the military uniform of the Roman Empire. Walking through the woods with heavy steps, he makes his way to the edge of the river. He slows to a stop, looking at the water with a concerned look on his face. The river is a small one and not deep enough to cover the numerous rocks that can be seen poking up out of the water. It's the kind of small river or stream you can easily cross on foot. But he doesn't cross it. Instead, he paces up and down the river with that same concerned look on his face as he stares at the water. As he nears the camera, we can see him clenching his jaws. the gears turn inside his mind. In the next shot, we see a line of Roman soldiers. Most of them are on foot, although there are some cavalry in there as well. In the foreground is the river. The soldiers aren't moving, they're just standing there in front of the river. The man from earlier is on a horse now. He looks back at the soldiers, then slowly he coaxes his horse forward to cross the river. The soldiers fall in behind their leader, crossing the river as well. This was from the Netflix miniseries simply called Roman Empire, and what it's depicting really did happen. The man leading his army across the river is Julius Caesar, who's played by Ditch Davy in the series. The name of the river is the Rubicon, and while it's true that it wasn't a physically difficult river to cross as far as the terrain is concerned, it was a huge deal for Caesar to cross the river with his army. You see, the Rubicon River was the border between Rome and Gaul. As a quick little side note, Gaul was a region in Western Europe that covered lands in modern-day France, Switzerland, Belgium, Luxembourg, Germany, and some parts of Italy. For years prior to the event that happened this week in history, Caesar had been conquering Gaul for the Romans, something that earned him a lot of fame in Rome. It also earned him some enemies. They didn't like how popular Caesar was getting. One of them in particular was Pompey, who convinced the Roman Senate to order Caesar to return to Rome where they wanted him to resign his post. There's some debate over exactly what the Senate wanted to do to Caesar because their plans never came to fruition. Caesar did return to Rome, but the reason crossing the Rubicon River with his army was such a big deal was because it meant Caesar was entering Roman lands at the head of his army. According to Roman law, only elected magistrates could lead their armies in Roman territory. Breaking this law would immediately brand both the leader and the soldiers as outlaws and condemn them to death. So normally, a Roman general would disband their army before entering Roman lands. When Caesar crossed the Rubicon at the head of his army, he was basically declaring war on Rome. It was a point of no return. This act is seen as the start of a civil war that ended up with Pompey fleeing Rome and Julius Caesar as dictator of Rome. 
Probably the biggest thing to mention about the accuracy of how the series depicts the crossing of the Rubicon is to simply point out that we just don't know a lot about what the actual event looked like. For example, I know I started this segment by saying it happened on January 10th, but we don't even know if that is accurate for sure. Most historians say it probably happened on the night of January 10th or the early morning hours of January 11th, but that's more of an educated guess than a known fact, though. If you want to watch the event this week, check out Season 2, Episode 3 of Netflix's docudrama series simply called Roman Empire. Crossing the River itself is about the 20-minute mark of that episode, although the entire episode is called Crossing the Rubicon, and it does a great job of setting up that event. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. January 13th, 1968, Folsom, California. We're at a prison. As the camera shows us different locations around the prison, we can see there are uniformed guards like you would expect, but no prisoners in sight. Even inside the prison, we can see empty cells, no prisoners. The muffled sound of music can be heard throughout the halls of the prison, though, and it's kind of odd. Then we can see it. All the prisoners are in a single room, cheering, clapping, and stomping their feet to the beat. The musicians on stage are playing the same riff over and over. As the musicians are playing, the guitarist looks rather nervously at a door behind the stage. Behind the door, Joaquin Phoenix's version of Johnny Cash seems deep in thought. After this, the movie jumps to Arkansas in 1944, but later in the movie, we see more of the same event. And we see Joaquin Phoenix's version of Johnny Cash chat with the prisoners a little bit before singing his song called Cocaine Blues. That event really did happen this week in history, but the real Johnny Cash did not start off the performance with Cocaine Blues. 
Johnny Cash actually played two live performances at Folsom State Prison on January 13th, 1968. And both performances started off with his song named after the prison called Folsom Prison Blues. The first performance started at 9.40 a.m., while the second was at 12.40 p.m. Part of the reason for two performances was because, just like we see mentioned in the movie, they were recorded live. And Cash wasn't really sure how that would turn out, so the second performance was kind of a backup of sorts. Except that kind of backfired a little bit, because after playing 19 songs in the first concert, the musicians were pretty tired, understandably. But they went right back to work playing another 16 songs, or 17 if you count the repeat of Greystone Chapel at the end of the 12.40 p.m. performance. Something else the movie doesn't really focus on is that Johnny Cash was not the only one to perform at the prison that day. Carl Perkins and the Statler brothers were also there, each performing a song or two before Johnny Cash took stage. If you want to watch a depiction of the event this week, check out 2005's Walk the Line. It opens with the prison performance, but then we actually see more of it in the movie later on at about the two-hour mark. January 15th, 2009, New York City. There's a word that you don't want to hear coming from the cockpit of an airplane. Mayday, mayday. Tom Hanks' version of Captain Chesley Sullenberger exclaims this, and he goes on to explain over the radio to air traffic control that they've lost both engines. Aaron Eckhart's version of First Officer Jeff Skiles is pushing controls, but he says there's no relight on engine one or two. From outside, we can see the plane they're flying is a huge passenger jet. Sully tells the controller he thinks they can get back to LaGuardia, talking about one of the airports in New York City. Again, seeing the plane from the outside, we can see the engines seem to be spitting out fire in an inconsistent manner. The plane is slowly losing altitude. As the plane turns, the camera angle gives us a better look at the ground and the massive city sprawling out beneath the plane. Who knows how many people will be killed should the huge plane crash into the heavily populated city. Sully and Skiles are piloting what essentially amounts to being glider at this point, and the buildings of New York City are dangerously close. Smoke streams from the engines as the airplane passes by buildings that are tall enough to be hit. Inside, passengers are screaming. They're understandably terrified of what they're going through. It's getting rough. They're bouncing around as the plane's altitude creeps lower and lower. Sully mutters, Lori, I love you, under his breath, talking about his wife, who's played by Laura Linney in the movie. Finally, the plane crashes into the side of a building in a huge ball of flame. Just then, Sully wakes up in a cold sweat. It was all a dream. (laughs) This is how the 2016 movie, simply called Sully, opens with a dream version of a very real event that took place this week in history. And the real event did not end the way we see in the opening of the movie, but the movie also admits to this being a dream. And since it pulled that little bait and switch, I thought I would do the same thing here. <laughs> in the true story, Chelsea Sullenberger and Jeff Skiles were piloting an Airbus A320 aircraft. It was U.S. Airways Flight 549 going from New York's LaGuardia Airport, bound for Charlotte, North Carolina, and then on to Seattle, Washington. At 3.24.56 p.m., the flight was cleared for takeoff. Less than a minute later, it was airborne. 
Everything seemed normal. It was a clear day with some scattered clouds in the sky. Then at 3.27 and 11 seconds p.m., while the plane was still climbing from its initial takeoff, it hit a flock of Canada geese. At this point, they had traveled 4.5 miles and less than 3,000 feet above the ground. Passengers reported hearing loud bangs, fire flying out of the engines, and then silence. The air smelled of fuel. Because the plane was climbing at the moment of impact, it kept going up for a little while, but it only went just above 3,000 feet before it started to go back down. Sully took the controls while Skiles tried to restart the engines, but to no avail. At 3.27 p.m. and 33 seconds, Sully radioed in the Mayday and said he was going to try to go back to LaGuardia. He was told he had permission to return to runway 31. Meanwhile, LaGuardia halted all other flights to clear the air for flight 1549. Moments later, Sully realized he wasn't going to make it back to LaGuardia and asked for other options. There was an airport in New Jersey nearby, and air traffic control gave them permission to land there. That was the plan for a fleeting moment until Sully realized they couldn't do that either. He told air traffic control they're going to land in the Hudson River. Passing less than a thousand feet above the George Washington Bridge that spans the Hudson, Sully told everyone on board to brace for impact. 90 seconds later, at 3.31 p.m. on January 15, 2019, Flight 1549 splashed down in a hard landing. Everyone on board survived. And since the FAA has released the cockpit recording to the public domain, here is the actual recording from that day where you'll hear conversations between air traffic control and Flight 1549 with the call sign Cactus 1549. Cactus 1549, turn left heading 270. Uh, this is uh, Cactus 1539, hit first, we've lost thrust on both pitches, returning back towards LaGuardia. Okay, uh, you need to return to LaGuardia. Turn left heading of uh, 220. 220. Tower, stop your departure, he's got emergency returning. Okay. This is 1529, he, uh, bird strike, he lost all engines, he lost the thrust in the engines, he's returning immediately. Cactus 1529, which engines? He lost thrust in both engines, he said. Got it. Cactus 1529, we can get it for you. Do you want to try to land 1913? We're unable. We may end up in the Hudson. Joint 2760, turn left 070. 070, joint 2760. Hi, Cactus 1549. It's going to be left traffic to runway 31. Unable. Okay, what do you need to land? Cactus fifteen point nine, runway four is available if you want to make left traffic to runway four. What's over to our right? Anything in New Jersey, maybe Teterboro? Okay, yeah, off your right side is Teterboro Airport. Do you want to try to go to Teterboro? Yes. Teterboro, uh Empire, actually, LaGuardia departs guy, emergency inbound. Hey, guys. Cactus 1529 over the George Washington Bridge wants to go to the airport right now. Wants to go to our airport. Check. Does he need assistance? Uh, yes, he, uh, it was a bird strike. Can I get him in for uh, runway one? Runway one, that's good. 
Okay, I get 1529. Turn right 280. You can land runway right. 1 at Teterboro. We can't do it. Okay, which runway would you like at Teterboro? We're going to be in the Hudson. I'm sorry, say again, Cactus. All right. Kelly, 2760, contact New York 126.8. 126, Joey 276. Cactus, uh, Cactus 1549, radar contact is lost. You also got Newark Airport up at 2 o'clock in about 7 miles. Eagle 5, 47, 18, turn left, thank 210. 210-1478-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529-1529
And as you probably guessed by now, we have covered that on the podcast too. If you watch that movie this week, check out episode number 167 afterward to learn more about the true story. Wow, what a way to kick off the Boats This Week series. Every birthday was for someone in a movie or TV show that we have already covered. I don't expect that will always be the case, but it worked out this time. If you're finding some value in Based on a True Story, you can support the podcast over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. There you can also learn how to get ad-free versions and help to keep the show going. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon.